Section 18 of Celtic Folk and Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Celtic Folk and Fairy Tales, edited by Joseph Jacobs. Section 18, Legend of Knockmany. What Irish man, woman, or child has not heard of our renowned Hibernian Hercules, the great and glorious Finn McCool? Not one, from Cape Clear to the Giant's Causeway, nor from that back again to Cape Clear. And, by the way, speaking of the Giant's Causeway brings me at once to the beginning of my story. Well, it so happened that Finn and his men were all working at the Causeway, in order to make a bridge across to Scotland. When Finn, who was very fond of his wife Ona, took it into his head that he would go home and see how the poor woman got on in his absence. So, accordingly, he pulled up a fir tree, and after lopping off the roots and branches, made a walking stick of it, and set out on his way to Ona. Ona, or rather Finn, lived at this time at the very tip-top of Knockmany Hill, which faces a cousin of its own called Cullamore, that rises up half hill half mountain, on the opposite side. There was at that time another giant named Cullhullan. Some say he was Irish, and some say he was Scotch. But whether Scotch or Irish, sorrow doubt of it but that he was a Targer. No other giant of the day could stand before him, and such was his strength that when well vexed he could give a stamp that shook the country about him. The fame and name of him went far and near, and nothing, in the shape of a man, it was said, had any chance with him in a fight. By one blow of his fists he flattened a thunderbolt and kept it in his pocket in the shape of a pancake, to show all his enemies when they were about to fight him. Undoubtedly he had given every giant in Ireland a considerable beating, barring Finn McCool himself, and he swore that he would never rest, night or day, winter or summer, till he would serve Finn with the same sauce, if he could catch him. However, the short and long of it was, with reverence be it spoken, that Finn heard Cahullan was coming to the causeway to have a trial of strength with him, and he was seized with a very warm and sudden fit of affection for his wife, poor woman, leading a very lonely, uncomfortable life of it in his absence. He accordingly pulled up the fir-tree, as I said before, and having snedded it into a walking-stick, set out on his travels to see his darling Ona, on the top of Knockmany, by the way. In truth, the people wondered very much why it was that Finn selected such a windy spot for his dwelling-house, and they even went so far as to tell him as much. "'What can you mean, Mr. McCool?' said they, by pitching your tent upon the top of Knockmany, where you are never without a breeze, day and night, winter or summer.' and where you're often forced to take your nightcap without either going to bed or turning up your little finger. Aye, and where besides this there's the sorrow's own want of water. Why, said Finn, ever since I was the height of a round tower, I was known to be fond of having a good prospect of my own, and where the Dickens' neighbors could I find a better spot for a good prospect than the top of Knockmany? As for water, I am sinking a pump. And plays goodness as soon as the causeway's made, I intend to finish it. Now, this was more of Finn's philosophy, for the real state of the case was that he pitched upon the top of Knockmany in order that he might be able to see Cullhullan coming towards the house. All we have to say is that if he wanted a spot from which to keep a sharp lookout, and between ourselves he did want it grievously, barring Sleeve Croob, or Sleeve Denard, or its own cousin Cullamore, he could not find a neater or more convenient situation for it in the sweet and sagacious province of Ulster. "'God save all here,' said Finn, good-humouredly, on putting his honest face into his own door. 
Musha Finn, avickin' your welcome home to your own ona, you darlin' bully. Here followed a smack that is said to have made the waters of the lake at the bottom of the hill curl, as it were, with kindness and sympathy. Finn spent two or three happy days with Ona, and felt himself very comfortable considering the dread he had of Cahullin. This, however, grew upon him so much that his wife could not but perceive something lay on his mind which he kept altogether to himself. Let a woman alone in the meantime, for ferreting or wheedling a secret out of her good man when she wishes. Finn was a proof of this. It's this Cahullin, he said, that's troubling me. When the fellow gets angry and begins to stamp, he'll shake you a whole townland, and it's well known that he can stop a thunderbolt, for he always carries one about him in the shape of a pancake to show to any one that might misdoubt it. As he spoke, he clapped his thumb in his mouth, which he always did when he wanted to prophesy, or to know anything that happened in his absence, and the wife asked him what he did it for. "'He's coming,' said Finn. "'I see him below Dungannon. "'Thank goodness, dear. "'And who is it? "'A Vic. "'Glory be to God.' "'That base Cahullin,' replied Finn. "'And how to manage, I don't know. "'If I run away, I'll be disgraced. "'And I know that sooner or later I must meet him, "'for my thumb tells me so.' "'When will he be here?' said she. "'Tomorrow, about two o'clock,' replied Finn, with a groan. "'Well, my bully,' "'Don't be cast down,' said Ona. "'Depend on me, and maybe I'll bring you better out of this scrape "'than ever you could bring yourself by your rule of thumb.' "'She then made a high smoke on the top of the hill, "'after which she put her finger in her mouth and gave three whistles. "'And by that Cahullin knew he was invited to Cullamore, "'for this was the way that the Irish long ago "'gave a sign to all strangers and travellers "'to let them know they were welcome to come "'and take share of whatever was going.' In the meantime, Finn was very melancholy, and did not know what to do, or how to act at all. Cahullin was an ugly customer to meet with, and the idea of the cake aforesaid flattened the very heart within him. What chance could he have? Strong and brave though he was, with a man who could, when put in a passion, walk the country into earthquakes, and knock thunderbolts into pancakes. Finn knew not on what hand to turn him, right or left, backward or forward. Where to go he could form no guess whatsoever. Oh, na, said he, can you do nothing for me? Where's all your invention? Am I to be skivered like a rabbit before your eyes, and to have my name disgraced for ever in the sight of all my tribe, and me the best man among them? How am I to fight this man-mountain, this huge cross between an earthquake and a thunderbolt, with a pancake in his pocket that was once— Be easy, Finn, replied Ona. Troth, I'm ashamed of you. Keep your toe in your pump, will you? Talking of pancakes, maybe we'll give him as good as any he brings with him, thunderbolt or otherwise. If I don't treat him to as smart a feeding as he's got this many a day, never trust Ona again. Leave him to me, and do just as I bid you. This relieved Finn very much, for after all he had great confidence in his wife, knowing as he did that she had got him out of many a quandary before. Ona then drew the nine woolen threads of different colors, which she always did to find the best way of succeeding in anything of importance she went about. She then plaited them into three plaits, with three colors in each, putting one on her right arm, one round her heart, and the third round her right ankle, for then she knew that nothing could fail with her that she undertook. Having everything now prepared, she sent round to the neighbors and borrowed one and twenty iron griddles, which she took and kneaded into the hearts of one and twenty cakes of bread and these she baked on the fire in the usual way, 
setting them aside in the cupboard according as they were done. She then put down a large pot of new milk, which she made into curds and whey. Having done all this, she sat down quite contented, waiting for his arrival on the next day about two o'clock, that being the hour at which he was expected, for Finn knew as much by the sucking of his thumb. Now this was a curious property that Finn's thumb had. In this very thing, moreover, he was very much resembled by his great Falkaholan, as it was well known that the huge strength he possessed all lay in the middle finger of his right hand, and that if he happened by any mischance to lose it, he was no more for all his bulk than a common man. At length the next day Cahullin was seen coming across the valley, and Onah knew that it was time to commence operations. She immediately brought the cradle, and made Finn to lie down in it and cover himself up with the clothes. "'You must pass for your own child,' said she, "'so just lie there snug and say nothing, but be guided by me.' About two o'clock, as he had been expected, Cahullin came in. "'God save all here,' said he. "'Is this where the great Finn McCool lives?' "'Indeed it is, honest man,' replied Ona. "'God save you kindly, won't you be sitting?' "'Thank you, ma'am,' says he, sitting down. "'You're Mrs. McCool, I suppose.' "'I am,' she said, "'and I have no reason, I hope, to be ashamed of my husband.' "'No,' said the other, "'he has the name of being the strongest and bravest man in Ireland. "'But for all that, there's not a man that far from you "'that's very desirous of taking a shake with him. "'Is he at home?' "'Why, then, no,' she replied.' and if ever a man left his house in a fury, he did. It appears that someone told him of a big bastoon of a giant called Calhullin, being down at the causeway to look for him, and so he set out there to try and see if he could catch him. Troth, I hope for the poor giant's sake he won't meet with him, for if he does, Finn will make paste of him at once. Well, said the other, I am Calhullin, and I have been seeking him these twelve months, but he always kept clear of me, and I will never rest night or day till I lay my hands on him. At this Ona set up a loud laugh, of great contempt, by the way, and looked at him as if he were only a mere handful of a man. "'Did you ever see Finn?' she said, changing her manner all at once. "'How could I?' said he. "'He always took care to keep his distance.' "'I thought so,' she replied. "'I judged as much, and if you take my advice, you poor-looking creature, you'll pray night and day that you may never see him, for I tell you it will be a black day for you when you do. But in the meantime—' You perceive that the wind's on the door, and as Finn himself is from home, maybe you'd be civil enough to turn the house, for it's always what Finn does when he's here. This was a startler, even to Cahullin. But he got up, however, and after pulling the middle finger of his right hand until it cracked three times, he went outside, and getting his arms about the house, turned it as she had wished. When Finn saw this, he felt the sweat of fear oozing out through every pore of his skin. But Onah, depending upon her woman's wit, felt not a whit daunted. "'Ah, then,' she said, "'as you are so civil, maybe you do another obliging turn for us, as Finn's not here to do it himself. You see, after this long stretch of dry weather we've had, we feel very badly off for want of water. Now Finn says there's a fine spring-well somewhere under the rocks behind the hill here below, and it was his intention to pull them asunder. But having heard of you, he left the place in such a fury that he never thought of it. Now, if you try to find it, troth, I'd feel it a kindness. She then brought Cahullin down to see the place, which was then all but one solid rock. And after looking at it for some time, he cracked his right middle finger nine times, and stooping down, tore a cleft about four hundred feet deep, and a quarter of a mile in length, which has since been christened by the name of Lumsford Glen. 
"'You'll come in now,' she said, "'and eat a bit of such humble fare as we can give you. "'Finn, even although he and you are enemies, "'would scorn not to treat you kindly in his own house. "'And indeed, if I didn't do it, "'even in his absence, he would not be pleased with me.' "'She accordingly brought him in, "'and placing half a dozen of the cakes we spoke of before him, "'together with a can or two of butter, "'a side of boiled bacon, and a stack of cabbage, "'she desired him to help himself.' for this, be it known, was long before the invention of potatoes. Cahullan put one of the cakes in his mouth to take a huge whack of it, when he made a thundering noise, something between a growl and a yell. Blood and fury, he shouted, how is this? Here are two of my teeth out. What kind of bread is this you gave me? What's the matter? said Ona coolly. Matter? shouted the other again. Why, here are the two best teeth in my head gone. Why, said she, that's Finn's bread. "'the only bread he ever eats when at home. "'But indeed I forgot to tell you "'that nobody can eat it but himself "'and the child in the cradle there. "'I thought, however, that as you were reported "'to be a rather stout little fellow of your size, "'you might be able to manage it, "'and I did not wish to affront a man "'that thinks himself able to fight Finn. "'Here's another cake. "'Maybe it's not so hard as that.' "'Cahullin at the moment was not only hungry, "'but ravenous, "'so he accordingly made a fresh set "'at the second cake.' and immediately another yell was heard twice as loud as the first. "'Thunder and gibbets!' he roared. "'Take your bread out of this, or I will not have a tooth in my head. There's another pair of them gone.' "'Well, honest man,' replied Ona, "'if you're not able to eat the bread, say so quietly, and don't be wakening the child in the cradle there. There now, he's awake upon me.' Finn now gave a skirl that startled the giant, as coming from such a youngster as he was supposed to be. "'Mother,' said he, "'I'm hungry. Get me something to eat.' Ona went over, and putting into his hand a cake that had no griddle in it, Finn, whose appetite in the meantime had been sharpened by seeing eating going forward, soon swallowed it. Cahullin was thunderstruck and secretly thanked his stars that he had the good fortune to miss meeting Finn, for as he said to himself, "'I'd have no chance with a man who could eat such bread as that, which even his son that's but in his cradle can munch before my eyes. "'I'd like to take a glimpse at the lad in the cradle,' said he to Ona, "'for I can tell you that the infant who can manage that nutriment is no joke to look at, or to feed of a scarce summer.' "'With all the veins in my heart,' replied Ona, "'get up a shukla and show this decent little man something that won't be unworthy of your father, Finn McCool.' Finn, who was dressed for the occasion, as much like a boy as possible, got up, and bringing Cahullin out. "'Are you strong?' said he. "'Thunder and ounds!' exclaimed the other. "'What a voice in so small a chap!' "'Are you strong?' said Finn again. "'Are you able to squeeze water out of that white stone?' he asked, putting one into Cahullin's hand. The latter squeezed and squeezed the stone, but in vain. "'Ah, you're a poor creature,' said Finn. "'You a giant. Give me the stone here, and I'll show what Finn's little son can do.' "'and you may then judge of what my daddy himself is.' "'Finn then took the stone, and exchanging it for the curds, "'he squeezed the ladder until the whey, as clear as water, "'oozed out in a little shower from his hand. "'I'll now go in,' he said, "'to my cradle, for I scorn to lose my time with any one "'that's not able to eat my daddy's bread, "'or squeeze water out of the stone. "'But, Dad, you had better be off out of this before he comes back, "'for if he catches you, it's in flummery he'd have you in two minutes.' Cahullin, seeing what he had seen, was of the same opinion himself. His knees knocked together with the terror of Finn's return. 
and he accordingly hastened to bid Onah farewell, and to assure her that from that day out he never wished to hear of, much less to see, her husband. "'I admit fairly that I'm not a match for him,' said he. "'Strong as I am, tell him I will avoid him as I would the plague, and that I will make myself scarce in this part of the country while I live.' Finn, in the meantime, had gone into the cradle where he lay very quietly, his heart at his mouth with delight that Cahullin was about to take his departure, without discovering the tricks that had been played off on him. "'It's well for you,' said Ona, "'that he doesn't happen to be here, for it's nothing but hawk's meat he'd make of you.' "'I know that,' said Cahullin. "'Devil a thing he'd make of me. But before I go, will you let me feel what kind of teeth Finn's lad has got that can eat griddle-bread like that?' "'With all pleasure in life,' said she. "'Only as they're far back in his head, you must put your finger a good way in.' Cahullin was surprised to find such a powerful set of grinders in one so young, but he was still much more so on finding, when he took his hand from Finn's mouth, that he had left the very finger upon which his whole strength depended behind him. He gave one loud groan and fell down at once with terror and weakness. This was all Finn wanted, who now knew that his most powerful and bitterest enemy was at his mercy. He started out of the cradle, and in a few minutes the great Cahullin, that was for such a length of time the terror of him and all his followers, lay a corpse before him. Thus did Finn, through the wit and invention of Ona, his wife, succeed in overcoming his enemy by cunning, which he never could have done by force. End of section 18